This is Limit Up, the place where we explore markets, strategies, and trading psychology to take your trading to the next level. Hello, traders, and welcome to the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. I'm Jack Pelzer. And I'm Dan Hodgman. Really quick, I'm going to jump in here. While we were preparing for this, Jack was just kind of giving me an outline of what was going on, and he made it a point to say, you can say this part, that you're Dan Hodgman, and I, uh, I got a good chuckle out of it. <laughs> well, okay. <laughs> you know, I'm reading from that. I could have said I'm Dan Hodgman, but I'm not. Uh, folks, anyway, we have a jamming <laughs> show for you today because it's the 100th episode of the Limit Up podcast. Woo-woo. Hodgman, can you believe that? No, I cannot. Yeah. Do you know uh, of any other shows off the top of your head that went over 100 episodes? What do you think the longest running shows are? TV shows. Simpsons. Uh, Simpsons is oh, a good one. Um, SVU. Uh, well, And I, General Hospital. You just named one of them because I actually have the uh, three right here. I looked it up today, what the longest running shows are. Number three is General Hospital, which was uh, 14,557 episodes over 56 seasons. Days uh, of Our Lives. No. Number two is another soap opera. It's Guiding Light, which uh, I, I had not heard of. Yes. 15,762. So I'll give you one chance. What do you think the number one TV show with the most shows of all time is? I have no idea. I can tell you what the longest running show on Broadway is right now because I just uh, learned that this weekend. It is Phantom of the Opera, 32 years. Man, 32 years. That's a long time to be singing. Well, uh, you were never going to guess number one because uh, according to Wikipedia, the number one longest running show of all time with 20,000 episodes and over 80 seasons is, of course, Unser Sandmachen. Is that German? Yes, it is German. I don't speak German, but apparently that means Little Sandman. And it's a German children's bedtime television program using stop-motion animation. The puppet's based on Ole... I I can't pronounce the no with a strike through it. But apparently he's a character from Hans Christian Andersen. You knew that, right, Dan? Absolutely. I was just testing you to see how well your Wikipedia-ing was. It's quite good. And uh, since today's a special episode, we figured on Limit Up it would require a special guest. So for the interview today, Jeff Carter will be joined by none other than the chief futures strategist at Tasty Trade and also the executive vice president of the new upcoming small exchange, Mr. Pete Momet. All right. I'm excited to hear this. Have you heard about this small exchange yet, Dan? Just a little bit, uh, but I'm I'm excited to have him clarify this. Well, more for you us. know what? I'm sure within a year's time you will hear a whole lot more of it. So I'm going to let Pete and Jeff explain that. Uh, but first, Dan, since we are without Mark Meadows, we thought in we kicked of, him out. Yeah, he's gone. He's been set adrift. But uh, we thought instead of a market reaction, we might take a look at the economic calendar ourselves. It's a pretty busy week this week and next. Between earnings, we got the Fed coming up on Wednesday, and then the uh, unemployment numbers on Friday morning. Exactly. We have a big week next week. I'm definitely looking forward to it. But in the meantime, just as I came into the room, I noticed on the TV, I didn't see why it happened, but I saw Tesla was up like 14% after yeah, hours. Absolutely. So they had um, revenue of $6.3 billion. Their earnings per share, instead of being 45% approximately, was, like, was what was expected. It was uh, $1.86 per share. So they really took off. And uh, so hopefully those of you that were long from two fifty. dollars um, you were able to take advantage of that. It was a big push, 12 14% already. 
Yeah, you ever do any futures trading around earnings? Absolutely, 100%. Yeah. I mean, Microsoft today, um, you, when you have Amazon releasing an earning, when you have Apple, when you have some of these major, major companies, uh, you think about it, Apple and Amazon, um, they're, the NASDAQ for sure, they have yeah. a GDP of a large, of a small country. Um, they could, I mean, the profits and the amount of revenue that they do is unbelievable. So, yeah, absolutely. You see those earnings come through. You are definitely focusing on your position how uh, and how the equity markets are going to react. So I've been sitting sort of outside the market today. Um, earlier in the week, I think the thing going into this earnings season, is there's a lot of bad low earnings estimates coming in. You know, the economy, the Atlanta now GDP is looking at about like 1.8 right now. Obviously, the uh, uh, the the Fed is going to cut next week. Um, uh, well, let's well, we'll see obvious. because you said like you earlier, earlier if in the you week. You listen to last week's podcast. Yes. <laughs> well, I guess what I'm saying is earlier this week, I thought the narrative was a little. There was a couple high profile misses, uh, but most people were beating. I mean, McDonald's missed uh, and, and a couple others. But then uh, you were saying today that it was it was bad. Well, so this morning, obviously, Boeing came out. Um, they did okay. For the situation that they're in, um, Caterpillar was a miss. You know, ultimately, I think the one thing I will say is the headlines. A miss really takes hold on the headlines. A hit or a good earnings report kind of gets pushed to the wayside. But you know, this morning Caterpillar was one of the big reasons you saw equity markets kind of getting dragged down. Caterpillar is a massive company, um, so when they are releasing their earnings, that's a big, big deal. And they're also just such a great. If you're a commodities trader or other things, Caterpillar is just such a uh, proxy or lens to like view the entire world economy through. Absolutely. You think about it. What is Caterpillar doing? A lot of they're building motors, they're building machinery to work in the fields. And if we do have questions and concerns with, um, let's take soybeans, prime example of, of an, a product affected by the U.S.-China trade talks, if soybean farmers are not getting their product out to market as much as they have been or they're cutting their prices, their expenses that uh, buying those products from Caterpillar, are they're going to withhold and say, you know what, I'm going to limp this machinery through the rest of this year. Maybe next year I can think about getting that new combine or whatever it is. Yeah, and it's also like Caterpillar is really... Um I don't know how familiar everyone is with construction or farming stuff, but it's a real luxury brand. It's sort of the Mercedes-Benz of that sort of equipment. I actually went to one of their assembly factories outside of uh, Shanghai. And oh. like, yeah, and that's the real, like, there's other brands there, but Caterpillar, it's like, you are in the Rolls Royce. I used to uh, plow um, parking lots in uh, northern Wisconsin every so often in uh, an old D7 Cat Dozer. Oh, that's nice. <laughs> I've spent a lot of time. I... Uh, one of my good buddies uh, was trained by Caterpillar. He's a uh, field diesel mechanic, and so uh, he's put me up in a bunch of different machines. It's pretty sweet. I love Caterpillar's products. Nice. Well, you got to go out there early to uh, shovel the snow, unlike myself. <laughs> uh, apologize. I uh, slept in and missed a meeting we had on Monday. And Jack missed a meeting on Monday morning, yeah. and we're, we're messaging him, are you okay? Where are you at? What's going on? It, it, wasn't, it wasn't that late for the record. I mean, this it was late. I'm, Jack's usually in pretty close to the same time I'm in. We're in here about 7, 7.30 in the morning. Right. I was going to text, uh, you know, around like, I don't know, 8.30, 9.00. So extremely late compared to normal. Compared to normal. And I'm glad that everyone was looking out for me. It was completely fine. Uh, <laughs> I was told I did one of those things where I turned off my... Uh, it's uh, called an alarm. T- turned off the alarm, went back to bed, and when uh, my wife woke up, she knew I needed to be at work as well. <laughs> she apparently just <laughs> she left me there because she said I quote just uh, looked comfy. 
Well, you know what? The colder weather's coming. It's know, easy to curl into bed. And why would you want to wake someone that looks under so the comforter comfy all the time? Well, you know, is one person who I presume would never sleep through a meeting, our guest today, the chief future strategist at Tasty Trade, <laughs> <laughs> Mr. Pete Momet. So, Dan, thanks for dropping by. And uh, for everyone else out there listening, uh, I really hope you enjoy this interview between Pete Momet and Jeff Carter. I'll see you back here sometime in the middle or maybe the end with Annie to answer a few questions from the Top Step Trader Facebook community. Hope you enjoy. Hello, everybody. This is Jeff Carter. Welcome to another edition of the Limit Up podcast on Top Step Trader. You can find me online at Points and Figures on Twitter or pointsandfigures.com is my blog. Today, I have an old friend coming to the program. His name is Peter Malmat, Pete Malmat. And he's the chief commercial officer of the Small Exchange at thesmallexchange.com, which is a new startup based here in Chicago. Pete, welcome to the program. Jeff, thanks so much for having me. I was really excited about coming on. It was so great to see you. We've spent so much time in the business together, both (laughs) on the floor and off. And uh, I'm very excited to tell everybody about this new futures exchange. First one launched in 14 years. So it's a, a new futures exchange. Futures only. It's an, uh, futures only. And it is, again, it's a full futures exchange. We're getting our DCM license from the CFTC. Which, oh, that's fun. Which makes us real. <laughs> yeah. It, 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 actually, you know what? You hear the stories yeah. about, you know, CFTC taking for it. They have been a tremendous, don't want to use the word partner because yeah, that yeah, implies, yeah, yeah, yeah. but they've been a tremendous advocate working with us and getting us through the process. Yeah. We've gone from everything from, we built our own trade matching engine. Right. So we have taken this model. Oh, you did build your own trade matching We've taken engine. this Great. model and turned it on its end um, for a lot of reasons we can talk about. Yeah. You know, futures currently, we know we're built with institutions right. in mind. Right, right. Uh, difficult quoting conventions. For yep. you you and I, going through 12, 30 seconds to 20, right. 30 seconds in right. the bond is right. simple math. Right. For the rest of the world, and I've done some time teaching as well as right. trading, when you look at fractionalized ticks and the idea that- I'm buying something right. because I think yields are going uh, lower right. is difficult. Yeah, so yeah. small exchange has tried to turn all those, the complexity, the size, the institutional nature, turn it on its head. So so for people that don't know, so Pete and I were both traders on the floor at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange. And one of the things about futures is that that is different than, let's say, stocks that are traded in New York, New York Stock Exchange, NASDAQ, is uh, the New York community is a little more retail-focused and institutional-focused, where the Chicago community really is industrial futures. I mean, that it's always – the core of it has always been sort of the big businesses. The reason they exist is to hedge risk. Farmers in 1848 needed to hedge their risk. You know, the bread companies needed to hedge their risk. The butter and egg companies needed to hedge their risk. And then people like Pete and I just were speculators on the floor and got in between everything. Right. We were kind of, I, I, I say glue, and that can either be yeah. in a... Or grease. Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, they can be either pejorative or positive. Yeah, glue or grease. Sometimes sometimes a little sometimes of Sometimes a both. little of both, yeah. So, <laughs> and and, and uh, we did. We spent many years on the floor. I was so fortunate. I started at the age of 20 in the D-Mark pit, and this I'm dating myself yeah, yeah, now because right, right. there's not even a, right. D, a D-Mark yeah. anymore. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And yeah. I, I remember, you know, first day going in there, I started clerking 
I came from a family of traders, so right. I was so fortunate. I remember, to start. I remember Izzy Malmat. Right. Well, my dad, uh, Bud Malmat, was a yeah. cattle broker. Right. Now, my grandfather, Izzy Malmat, and his brother Jack were yeah. part of the founding membership of CME because, right. as you said, CME was founded as a butter and, and right. egg exchange. That's right. And it's like out of everything, why butter and eggs? Right. At that time, they were perishable commodities, right. so they needed to create a a, a futures market yeah. for that, and they were in the egg business, so. Right. Uh, he was there from the start and going from CME has traded, starting with butter eggs, they've traded scrap steel, iron ore, right. shrimp, turkey, shrimp, shrimp, turkeys, yeah, iced broilers. Yes. <laughs> it, it, it is amazing what yeah. people will speculate and sure. trade on. And, uh, first day I started trading, my grandfather comes up. Now I walked in the DMARC pit and with my hand shaking so yeah. bad, right. I traded two one lots back and forth. And yeah. I, I think I made, um, $25. And <laughs> that's I, good. That's two ticks. Yeah, it was. That's what it was. It was buying a one lot and flipping it for a tick. And uh, I turned in the cards. And at that time, we had to write them down on right. trading cards. Right, right, right. And half an hour later, the key punch lady comes back and she says, honey, I can't read what the heck you wrote down on these cards because my hands were shaking so bad. <laughs> oh, my So I God. walk out of that. My grandfather comes up. Now, he was trading pork bellies. Yeah. And I think if you remember. The, oh, the belly pit. Belly pit back was. Back in the day was it, the pit. It was like kind of, the S&P pit. Right. Yeah, it, or, and yeah. It was a wild ride. Right. Um, and my grandfather comes over and he says, go sell five May bellies. And I'm like, five May, five May bellies. What's May belly? <laughs> and, and, and why would I, why in God's world would I want to trade five of them? And yeah. he just go, now, remember, he was five feet tall and right. five feet square. It's right. like a, uh, just yeah, a he was. He's very like tough a fire hydrant. fire yeah. plug. Yeah, right? yeah, yeah, yeah. And so at that time, you had to write up the order. And right. I go over to Time the guy. Stamp it. And I remember I sold them at 128. And the next day I come in, they're down to one twenty-five. Wow! And I made nine. I was up nine hundred and twenty dollars oh, yeah. right. on, on that right pork belly trick. Right, like a gazelle. I write up the buy order. I take it over there on the opening, and I'm you know thrilled with my yeah. nine hundred dollars after making twenty-five the right. day before. Now five weeks later, bellies are trading at forty cents. Wow! My grandfather comes over to me and says, "You know those May bellies I told you to sell?" Yeah. He says, "Go buy them back now." <laughs> And when I told him what I had done, oh my God. he looked at me like, you can't be from the same gene pool as me. <laughs> now, and, and you remember at the old trading floor. That's funny. The old trading floor, yeah. the chairs were literally bolted down they to the were. floor, yeah. which thank God they were because yeah. I'm convinced he would have picked up a chair and he hit me with it. Yeah, he so, would have. Uh, yeah, you and I were both very fortunate to grow as markets were growing. Right. I mean, in that DMARC pit, when I started, there were seven guys. Busy day. We walked out trading twelve hundred contracts. Like, oh my god, the you know, yeah, what a wild ride. When what I, a wild day. When right. I left the floor, it was now a Euro FX because the marks were right. going with the right. start of the eurozone currency. We were doing three hundred thousand contracts a day, and that was two, insane. And there were two hundred fifty knuckleheads fighting over. I that remember. Overflow. I remember. So I started in eighty six, and I was a runner, you know, for Stotler right. or whatever. And you'd be by the meat pits, and it was kind of. The old club, the it old was, guys, yeah. right? And then you'd go over by the currencies. And at that time, they would close like at 105, right. 110, you know. And the DMARC was where it was at. Right. And then when it became Euro FX, you know, you would look at the volume. Like at the time, I was trading Euro dollars. Right. And we thought we did decent volume. Oh, but you, then we'd yeah. look at the Euro FX and they were like double R's. Yeah. You know, with movement, like boom, boom, boom. So- if you were going to trade Forex today right. and come in, how would you do it? You know what? I still do it the same way. I, yeah. I, I trade a lot of Forex. It's funny. I 
with the advent of electronic trading, we've got this right. great leveler of the playing field. Now, right. it's taken away the edge you and I have. Yeah, 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 totally. But I think both you and I realized it was an interesting mix of people. And yeah. guys who are relatively fast on their feet and could do good math yeah. had a, you know what, were successful. Right. And we realized, I think both of us early on, that we weren't rocket scientists, but we were we were relatively, you know. I went to three colleges in four years. I didn't need anybody to tell right, me we, I wasn't we a rocket scientist. We were slightly above average guys <laughs> in the right place at the right time. So, and that was great. But right. like everything else, right. it doesn't last forever. Right. So, we moved off, and I, I think you remember my partner, Dave Silverman, yeah, and I yeah. moved off the floor and started to do cash futures arbitrage right. between currencies and treasuries, right. which had a great run too. But once things hit the screen, or as we called it, the box, yeah, the box, uh, the box, uh, you could see quickly that the amount of people that were able to access the markets now without, right. I mean, I could still remember fighting my way out of the Euro pit. Yeah. Picking up a phone, calling NYMEX to trade crude. Right. And then waiting three hours to get a fill back. Right, right, right. You know, now we you take your mouse, you glide over 4,000 products, equities, ETFs, right. options, and futures, and you can trade any of them with right. a click of a mouse. Great leveler. But what it's done is open up futures to mm -hmm. the entire world. Right. And, you know, I still trade a lot. Uh, my ability to trade will change once yeah. we get our DCM license. Sure, sure. But uh, yeah, I'd you're love gonna that. Have a, you're going to have a day job. So, like, if I was going to trade Forex, though, like, what back when we did it, it was like you walked in the pit, your hands were shaking, you had a mentor maybe, you, you had a gut feel or whatever. Do you, Would you scale into trades now differently than you would in the pit if you were just on the screen and scale out? Or is it, like, one shot, like, you know, your belly trade? Or And then what sort of cues do you look at to try to pick up What's going on in the Forex market? Because you, you've traded Forex. I never traded Forex. I t just for the listeners, I traded Forex like two times in my life and lost money both times. It was so fast. I didn't know what the hell was going on. Yeah. I, that I was, was like my two lumber trades. Yeah. <laughs> now, you, you had, back in the day, the lumber pit was five guys. Yeah, right. And even if you it went was... by and looked at them, yeah, you they were, were, were going to stab you in the heart yeah, with a yeah, pencil. Yeah, you had an outtrade. So, yeah. Right. You, 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 <laughs> They didn't want anybody in that swimming pool yeah, but them and no. four guys in an order. Oh, pool. yeah. Who's the guy that written ran that pit yeah. like a – Yeah, like a, like a boot like camp. Like a Politburo. Yes. <laughs> Even better. Yeah, I, I think a good analogy. But, yeah, that was like my lumber trades. But yeah. in currencies, for me, when I was on the floor, it was all about the edge you got – being on the bid and offer and right. being able to take right. being able to take down a lot of size. Right, right. If you were able and willing to take two, three, four hundred contracts right. at a time, you were the guy the order will fulfill and look right. for because right. he didn't have to do the math and split it right. up ten different right. ways. If he knew he had something to do and you were four bid at five, he knew you'd take all right. four hundred. With the level of the playing field and that edge gone of seeing that bid and offer. I do scale in now. Mm -hmm. I use strictly futures. I'm not a cash FX guy. So do you watch the cash FX for I, clues? I do, but I, you know, the futures, futures have gone from less than 2% of the cash FX business yeah. to 60% of the FX business. Wow. So futures have now gone from, you know, the dog wagging its tail to right. the tail wagging its dog. Right. So it is more than enough information. We actually watch cash prices because the futures were so small. Uh -huh. um, and for those of you who haven't traded Forex, whether you're trading Euro US or dollar yen, it's just when you flip them around on the 
currency futures, they're all quoted the same way. So right. it's dollars on the right hand side of the quoting convention. Right. They're always the reciprocal of one another. Right. So uh, following one, you're following the other in essence. Right. So uh, what's nice now is I'm trading smaller than I used to. I think we all are. Yeah, yeah. And yeah. with the ability to scale in and out of positions, I'm not looking to turn positions for a tick or two. What I do like is in futures, the true transparency of the marketplace. Mm-hmm. That central limit order book with first in, first out priority yeah. means if you're in that market first, if Goldman Sachs is behind you with a thousand, right? You're one lot, two lot, five lot, ten lot. So, it's filled below. Before so that. it's CME in the euro dollars. They had the allocation algorithm. Right. Do, they don't have that in the currencies. They don't have that in the currency. So it's FIFO. It's straight FIFO. So so for people that don't understand what we're talking about, when you were a pit trader and you were first, it was by voice and the order filler had a relationship. Sometimes they heard. If they had, if you had a better relationship, I like the term here heard. Selective hearing would be better. Yeah, yeah, right, exactly. But on the screen, if you're first, you're first, right, and you get hit. Yes, and so you get filled. And the central limit order book. So in the stock market, you have a highly fragmented market with a lot of dark pools where high frequency traders will have their own private little playground. They'll skim a couple of cents off trades. Um, Robinhood, for example, sells all their order flow, TD Ameritrade, to dark pools. You pay zero commission, but you get a worse fill. Well, you don't see what the market really is. You don't see what the market is. That's right. And while you could say, I see it, look at my screen. Here's the bid and offer. You're being served up a bid and offer that is what their liquidity providers is showing them. Right. So futures have that level transparency that I love. Mm -hmm. That's great. It's in the small exchange. We have a straight FIFO central limit order book. So yeah. it's very right. it's very efficient. It's very fair. And we mm-hmm. feel that's critically important to lower some of the barriers. You know, yeah. I think we've seen for the longest time, the smaller players, the retail pro tail trader that yep. we're focusing on tended to have to accept the most difficult way to transact business. And if that yeah, was on totally. the floor, you and I would have yeah, headsets yeah. on yeah, and yeah. brokers would have headsets on for right. bigger customers. Bang, they do that. Order. Bang, yeah. Smaller one lot, two lot traders had a call a desk, Dude Get runs somebody's it in. attention. Another yeah, dude, yeah, yeah. Right, right. dude walks it in. Another guy fills it. So Ira Harris, who who um, oh, we sure. both know, told me once an interesting thing. There was a guy who was a futures clearinghouse broker, Barry Lind, who was yeah. legendary. And Barry said, "You never abandon the retail guy. You have to cater to the retail guy because he makes the market. He may he get he puts his stuff in there or she." That um that Makes people can, all the other moving pieces. That's work. right. That's right. And I do think that the big players have forgotten about the retail because in the pursuit of profit, and we went for profit, and it's not because we demutualized. I think before demutualization, they forgot about retail, and it was because you wanted that big order flow. And what Jeff's talking about, CME was a member or we were. owned organization yeah. for many years. And then it became a public organization right. when we demu- 2001. demutualized. 2002. Right. Yeah. And uh, the focus now is the markets that the treasury bonds that do right. 400000 a day. The euro dollar futures that you started in are doing $6 million contracts a day. That's insane. So when I clerked in the euro dollar options, we did 12,000 contracts a day. And look what they a did. A day. Now. Yeah. A day. <laughs> now they're doing that per trade. I, yeah. Yes. I remember once- my friend Tony Fasano was in there sure. and he filled a hundred thousand car order. Right. To two guys. Right. 
50 50 right <laughs> yeah and it's absolutely amazing bonkers how these guys will take out down this this huge size yeah. but i think there is a a new focus on retail mm-hmm. because as you said there's really like three stools a three legs on a stool in my mind that makes a successful mm-hmm. market the um the liquidity provider who who gives you a depth of book. Yeah. The end user in terms of the the person looking to hedge or transfer risk. Right. And then the speculator. Right. And that, if you've got all three of those pieces, you have a, a liquid market that has right. an, a long-term end user and then a short-term user right. who's your speculator. Right. That creates for a successful market. Right. But retail is a key part of that. And we think it has been neglected. When we say neglected, you're forced to trade you know, institutionally, a hundred. I don't want to trade a hundred thousand bonds. I don't want to trade one hundred and twenty-five thousand euros. Right. Or for that a million matter, dollar euro dollar, a million dollar euro, right. or a thousand barrels of crude oil at fifty-three thousand dollars. Right. So all these products were crafted, short of the fact that it's barrels, bushels, bars. Right. And you know, I I get asked so many questions. Well, what is five thousand bushels, and why is it? And honestly, when just as inside, and these are things yeah. that are nice to know that will never earn you a dime. Right. But when the farmer takes the corn over to the silo, they don't count bushels. No. They weigh it. They weigh it. And it's got nothing to do with bushels. It it's has just to do, yeah. old generic term That's right. that everybody uses. I mean, the first time I traded beans, do you remember Mike Smith? No. Uh, okay. Uh-huh. Mike was a guy who stood next to me in the Canada pit. And Mike loved trading grains. Yeah. And I always felt grains were kind of a, you know, I was a financial- it was an inside game. I was a, right, I was a, I was a financial commodities guy. That was the other exchange it, right, over there. It was there. the evil board of yeah. trade at the time, which is not part of the CME. But um, they used to call, you know, each contract is 5,000 bushels. Right. And they used to call, when you buy one contract, you would say, buy me five beans. And that would mean a five beans meant 5,000 bushels or a one lot. And I remember that- That's my, confusing. The guy said, for a week, pester me, you got to buy these beans. You gotta, yeah. so I'm like, all right, fine. I get out of the pit. I pick up the phone. I call the board trader. Yeah. I go buy me five uh, uh, November beans. Yeah. And he goes, do you want five contracts or one contract, which is 5,000 bushels? And I said, you know, I don't know the answer to that question. <laughs> so I, I'm going to pass on this one. And he just started laughing and I hung up the phone. But uh, so we lived in that world. Though, yeah. And it became- we dealt with it. In other mm-hmm. words, we had no choice. Well, you uh, had mentors too, right there. Uh, right. You could ask a question, and they'd answer. I mean, there were. I mean, there were stupid questions occasionally on the floor where people would get mad and stuff. But if you were legitimately trying to figure something out, right? You know, I I walked in the hogs the first day and didn't even know what the tick value was, right. and and, and which was different than the cattle value, which was different than the euro dollar value, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Which was different, which was than, different the than the currency or, or S and P's, and and so then and so then I walked in, and you know it was a spreaders market, which was good for me because I was a spreader from the euro dollar, so I could walk in, and I I didn't even know how to card up a trade, and so I looked at uh, John Fisher, and I'm like, so I just did a trade. How do I card this up? And I'd been there for 16 years. <laughs> You know, and John looked at me and he started laughing and he said, well, April is J. <laughs> <laughs> which which makes perfect sense. Right. Yeah. It makes no right. sense. Right. And uh, the other one was, uh, I think it was August or something. With and, a Q. Yeah. <laughs> yeah and I'm like, one. I'm buying the J's and selling the Q's. <laughs> and so John, whenever I see him now, he's like buying the J's, selling, selling the, the Q's. Q's. Yeah. 
And, and I had no idea what I was doing. And pretty soon by the end of the day, I had 100 spreads on, right. you know, all one lots. Right. <laughs> And now you were now you now you were it's it's like that scene from yeah. a Bronx Tale. Yeah. Now Jews can't leave. Yeah. I mean, you, that's right. Right. Yeah. That's you what, were there now. That's what this one broker yeah. told me. He said this one guy came in here and did that, and he stayed for thirty years. <laughs> right. Once you get those spreads on, you're not walking away. No, no, no. You yeah. can't. Yeah. So, but to, you know, part of what we're working on is to kind of turn that model upside down to make. Our exchange is focus a small exchange on the self directed retail trade. Yeah. So what we talked about. Dramatically smaller size no right. sale products. Simple tick increments. Right. Everything is a dollar wide tick. And, and you know what? Like the big exchanges will not disrupt their model, right. ICE or CME. So they like made a one, lot of money off that. One model. idea I always had with the Euro dollars was instead of a million dollar contract, and this is it kind of against the small exchange, right. five million dollar contract, but it would trade fat more like a currency. Right. With a 10, you know, a 10, like, uh, I can't remember what the tick value then would be. Twelve and a half dollar tick? No, um, more, uh, less. Less. So a $6.25. Yeah, yeah. You'd go down to uh, a so, quarter or an eighth. Right. right. So then, or so 16. Then, yeah. Right. So then it would move in like, instead right. of one tick increments, 10. Right. Right. And, Which but would it give would give you a lot more, more trade over rate. That's right. Better for retail, not good for banks. Absolutely. And, and not good for the exchange because the exchange is like, I want the million dollar contract so I can trade six million a day. I don't want the five million dollar contract so I do fifth of my volume. Right. Yeah. And you know what? You make a great point because for retail, it's not the clearing fee, it's not the exchange fee. Right. Now there's three fees an NFA fee, right. which is two cents. We don't really even see clearing yeah. fee or the exchange fee. Yeah. What's our biggest cost of doing business? It's what you said, that $25 that's tick, right. that's slippage between bid and offer, mm-hmm. $12 and a half dollars in the right. Euro or $10 in the Aussie. Right. That's our cost I of doing business. I want to get in and out. Right. And I want to do that for as little as possible. And people don't understand that when they look at markets. Even in the currencies, the accountants at the banks didn't understand the slippage when the market moved away from CME to like broker tech and stuff. They didn't understand, we're giving you free commission, but oh, our spread's like a tick wider. That's, you know? <laughs> and, that, and that's, it's funny, you talked about spot FX, yeah. and I don't want to bad rap anybody, yeah. but yeah. when you trade spot FX, you're trading with a single counterparty. So that's if right. I'm trading with the bank of Jeff, right. and I'm calling you up and, and you know giving you price on 40 June futures right. in the spot, you right. know exactly what my position is. That's exactly and right. The, the price I get back is from a single provider, and it's usually shaded a little bit. You know that out of the last ten times this guy's traded, he's bought twice, and then he he pitches them on the third yeah. phone call. So you're going to, like any spot dealer, shade that price to make a little extra. No doubt. Transparency of futures takes all that edge away because you are not getting price from one guy. You're getting price from the entire market, that, which is what you want. That's right. And what's interesting is like, I talked to a guy, he was a bank trader at Citibank in the 90s. Yeah. And he was Boy, making a quarter million a day. Say. Yeah. No risk. Right. Because they shade the price. Or, and they had all the orders. They had all the yeah. orders. And then today, if you look at markets like muni bonds, let's say, or corporate bonds or something, they're so opaque and they show you just their book and their prices. Right. So they make money no matter what. Now, the devil's advocate part of it is it doesn't matter because if you want to get in the trade- right. You're not scalping in and out of something like that. So I get it. But then the trader part of me that was, you know, competitive on the floor is like, screw you. You're making a penny off me and I'm going <laughs> to. Right. Absolutely. Absolute. And, you know, I think smart, smart traders. Yeah. And this is something I still do. And, you know, 
a lot of, especially, you know, people new to the process. Okay. I'm going to buy them here because they're going to go up here. Right. And I think traders with more experience need to, it's a two factor decision making process. Right. I'm interested in buying them here if I want to be directional. Yeah. But where am I getting out? If I'm wrong. And that is as important a question Isn't as that, looking for the winner. That's the survival and, question. And that's what yeah. you and I have developed over yeah. 30 years is if my scenario doesn't unfold, yeah. where's the manageable? And that oftentimes, that equation in your mind of where's a reasonable level to manage loss yeah. as well as profit sometimes stops you from putting on less than optimal trades. Right. So it's an important distinction if you're trading directionally to do that. Uh -huh. I, you know, for me, one of the greatest things in the last five years, now we've had this in the equity world for mm -hmm. 15, mm -hmm. but options on futures. Yeah. Fastest growing part of the options business. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Small exchange, once we launch our futures contract right. off the ground, and there are five products, very simple to understand, yeah. very easy what to What are your first five products? We've got an equity index products. They're all cash settled futures. And for, That's great. For what Jeff and I know is- yeah. And this this never happens, but everybody, oh, yeah. I'm going to get a thousand barrels of crude delivered to my house, yeah, yeah, or yeah, yeah. I'm going to get 5,000 bushels of beans. Even if you wanted the crude in your backyard, yeah. all you get upon delivery is a little piece of paper that says, yeah. go pick it up at Cushing, Oklahoma. Right. That's right. Uh, so it's very difficult to take delivery, nor would you ever want to. Mm -mm. Um, but with a cash settled contract, mm -hmm. it's never a worry. At the end of the day, at the end of the expiration of the contract, right. There is a settlement mechanism, yep. and you're either debited or credited. That's right. That position goes away. It's elegant. It's right. easy for right. everyone to understand. So these cash-settled index products are all proprietary to us. Yeah. Now, we've got an equity index contract that has a high correlation to the S&Ps, but it's got a weighting methodology that both incorporates capitalization and volatility. Oh, great. So it turns out that a lot of the names we're hearing every day that are in the news every day that right. people are trading every day are part of our index. Right. Now, yield, which you and I know, uh, I, I've traded long bonds for yeah, a long yeah, period. Yeah, yeah, right. You trade what you can. Right. And with the inverse pricing convention, the idea of DVO1, yeah. which right. I don't even, again, yeah. I don't even want, I've, you lose 90% of your audience when you're trying to explain a yeah. yield curve trade <laughs> when you go, and yeah. now you have to weight this duration by something called the dollar value of a basis. Right, right. And right. you see about 90% of the audience get up and walk yeah. out. Yeah. No, yeah. I, you're right, the fog. Yeah. Doesn't that computer do that for me? Right. And so our product's <laughs> yeah. yield-based. So yeah. it's the first yield-based future. Oh, so cool. if you think rates are going higher, you buy you buy you think yeah, rates yeah, are going yeah. lower. Yeah. But options- That's like, like, that's like ETFs where- you do, you're double short or whatever, right? right? I mean, yeah. And but yeah. that, you know what? It's interesting you mentioned that, Jeff, because you look at the double and triple leveraged yeah. ETFs. And honestly, I'm not here to bad raps anybody's product. No, 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 no. They've it's, met with a lot of success, but that's an expensive product. To it trade. is an expensive. It comes no, with liquidity a large, is tough. Liquidity is tough yeah. and a large management fee. Yeah, Because yeah, they yeah. have to re-engineer that product. All the time. All the time. Right. So one of the great things with futures is it's a standardized that's contract. That's right. And- all that means is it never changes, right. whether it be, you know, our proprietary index or 5,000 right. bushels or 100 ounces of gold. Now, we have something called a precious metals index, right. which rather than having to pick a gold, silver, and platinum, top right. three precious metals, yeah. rather than having to pick one, and we've seen great movements of metals right. in the last three months, right. silver dramatically outperforming everything. That's right. So A more industrial metal than More gold. industrial yeah. metal. But we've, we've found that in ease of simplicity, I want precious metals exposure. I don't yeah. want to have to pick right. one. The ETF side on some of the others is relatively difficult yeah, to trade. Yeah. So our precious metals index gives you precious metals exposure. Right. At $5,000 a notional, it's a whole different kind that's of a different. Product. That's like a, 
even smaller than an old mid-am contract. It is. Yeah. 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 And um, it's interesting because like back when I was on the board of CME, you know, we would talk about different product ideas, right? right? And one of the things with the meats was to understand them was tough. The bellies were not like the hogs, which were not like the feeder cattle, which is not like the cattle. And Jeff Silverman always had this idea about an index, right. a meat index that would lie in the center of them. And then you could spread out right. of of each one right. and lay off some risk. Um, have you thought about a meat index? You know what? We're So our products, we've got an equity index. Yeah. Uh, the rated product we talked about. So you're not about. doing – oh, wait. No, you're doing metals. So you're doing physical. We're doing, yeah. we're doing metals. We're doing foreign exchange. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a global oil index. Okay. Global oil. Global oil. So does that take into account – so like if you trade oil at the NYMEX, the, the standard contract, right. that's the Cushing, Oklahoma right. contract, West Texas Intermediate Crude. You're spot on. And then – but there are Dubai and there's – other. so there's are you Dubai, taking into account all of the oil market? We're or? taking into account several of those markers. Okay. Dubai, Brent. Yeah. There's also – you know, it's so interesting. Even in the U.S., you mentioned Cushing, Oklahoma. Sure. Which was the hub yeah. of crude oil. It's landlocked. What we're seeing now is a lot of U.S. crude production being exported. Right. So CME just launched two new trades. Yeah. Out of Houston. Yeah. And they are doing tremendous amounts of volume because that's what the market wants. Are they, I don't want a landlocked price that I then have to transport. I want the basis trade for the point I want to export it from. And then the the other interesting – this is just it's kind of inside baseball a little bit. Some commodities, the industry people wanted delivery. Oh, yeah. So like in the crude, they wanted what they called wet barrels. Right. You know, or like the cattle contract – is delivery where the hogs is an index right. and is not. Bellies were delivered. Right. Um, feeder cattle was delivered. I think the hogs were the only meat product. Right. I, th- I think cattle did go to an index, though. I might be wrong. Because- Really? I, I know all the grains were still physically delivered. Grains physically, right? right. I, th- I don't yeah, think cattle is. No? no. Okay. Because I, I, you know, as markets like that become more vertically integrated- yeah. And it used to be there was a guy who owned the cow calf right, baby, right. another guy who uh, would fatten them at the feedlot, right. another guy who would then slaughter them and box them right, up, then right. they wholesale them up. Right. The same guy now owns that entire pipeline as and much as the government lets them. Right. Yeah. And there's five companies that control eighty percent of the business. That's right. Nobody wants price discovery. They right. know the price. They, they know exactly what it costs yeah, to yeah. take that cow <laughs> from a hundred pounds to twelve hundred pounds, and they're not sharing that information with anybody no, they else. Aren't. No. So it's a struggle. That's like Smithfield and the hogs. So yeah. we don't have a softs or ag product right now. Mm-hmm. We wanted to go with the primary five asset classes: so equities, metals, interest rates, foreign right. exchange, and oil, and create proprietary yeah. indexes that represented like our yield based product. Sure. For our customer, that retail, right. pro-tail, self-directed trader, they want to trade things that they're comfortable with. They hear about every day. Yep, yep. And they want a simple expression could, of that at a reasonable size. Could you see yourself in the future, and this is this is startup-y stuff, because sure. in startups, what Pete's talking about is they're going to go to the bread and butter, they're going to build that out, and then you know they'll, right. they'll expand. We'll innovate out. And one of the things that was interesting to me a f- bunch of years ago, I read about it, is in the nut business, there are no futures. Right. And there was increasing demand overseas for pecans. And in China and India, they thought that if you ate pecans, you stayed younger longer. Okay. And so, like, demand went through the roof. But there was no way for the pecan growers to hedge. Right. 
and the market is fragmented. Do you see yourself going to try to develop markets and things like that that aren't on listed futures exchanges today? Because ICE and CME don't trade anything right. like that because the markets are too small. They don't want to put the resources out there to do them. Right. And we do. We see yeah. – you know what? Since we create our own indexes and we we self-benchmark them – we're very nimble as yeah. to creating new products. Right. I mean, very honestly, and it's not letting the cat out of the bag. No. Everybody's looking at cannabis. How yeah, do you, yeah, yeah, yeah. SECs have, it, 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 to an extent, that's almost run its course. It has. But as yeah. an exercise, looking at building a futures product. Sure. Now, we looked at a lot. There's tons of price aggregators out there. Yeah. But you look at the tradable amount, and you know, big trade is 50 pounds. Now, for you and I, that's a lot of weed to have in our that's basement. That's a lot, yeah. <laughs> But, Can I take delivery on that? Right, but well, <laughs> but to to try to price a contract off, yeah. of, it's not enough. So yeah. there it's is a market a, that always goes higher, right? And there's a lot of interesting <laughs> products though coming into into the financial space, right? That are going to be differentiators as well as different index based products. You know, we have the VIX, right? As a as a fear index, right, As sure. a volatility index, right? Right. It's a great one piece of the puzzle. It, right. You know, it's the mere reflection. Based off of the SPX options, right. of what volatility is in the equity right. market, it is. We don't have that opportunity in a lot of products. No, we don't. And, and volatility is a fascinating trade. Vo volatility is in everything, right. and people don't realize right. it. The classic that I always bring up is crude oil and onions. Right. There are no onion futures right. because Anymore. of of, right. of what happened. Yes. Um, but what's That's more, its own great story. Well, it is a great story, right? <laughs> but but. What's more volatile, crude oil or onions? And people don't think about it. They think crude because it's a big market. They hear about it and they go to the grocery store and, and the, the cost of an onion right. isn't that, you know, right. it, the, it doesn't impact them like a gallon of gas. And onions have a way more volatile right. price than oil because of futures. Right. And, you know, you look at things like second smallest contract in terms of notional size is natural gas. Yeah. The only thing smaller yeah, is corn. Right. You look at the crude contract, it's $53,000. Right. Natural gas near its lows today, sitting around $21,000. Right. But with a volatility, a monthly volatility term structure of over 50%, that wow. has the amount in, in terms of daily expected range, yeah. the amount of volatility, that is a tremendously, in terms of the percentage of the underlying how much it moves on a daily basis. Yeah. One of the largest moving products listed the variance on, in the is futures world. huge in that. It is. Oh my God. And we've seen last October, we saw that right. almost 70% run up and right. subsequent fall. Right. You and I have seen natural gas go from two bucks to 12 and yeah. back down. So, you know, it's fascinating how volatility plays such an important part in understanding. It's not a tell. Yeah. Volatility is what volatility is. Yeah. But it's an important component to both be able to trade right. and to be able to understand. So right. hopefully as we, and I've got to be careful how much we, we push out yeah. because, you know, it's interesting. We are a brand new exchange. We're very small. Yeah. CME and ICE are huge. Yeah. And CME just rolled out, what do they call them? Micro, Micros. Micro equity index products. I wonder if that's in response to you guys. Well, you know, they say no, but, I, you know, I spent some time at CME and yeah. they've kicked around this micro product for five years. Yeah. And- I've got to believe that whether or not this was the the idea, it certainly moved the decision making yeah, yeah, along. Yeah. And you know, in the future space, there has not been a new futures exchange in 14 years. And along our travels of building this, you know, 
government-recognized DCM, which is so critical because it, yep. it makes it just like every other regulated futures exchange. We're clearing. Mm-hmm. We've got a very reputable clearing entity, the OCC, mm-hmm. one of mm-hmm. the largest clearing entities yeah. in the world. Yep. We've talked to different people who have gone on this journey, and they are stopped at so many places, yep. whether it's at the, getting the license, getting the clearing, and they basically are just worn out. What I mean by that yep. is they run out of their Oh, fund. they do. Now, we we are very close on our license. We've got our clearing arrangement in place. As we get more real, I think some of the other exchanges go from benign neglect to kind of a little bit more concerned interest. And we're mindful of that. We're, yeah. Because the fact that we can get into business means other people can get into business. And it, it changes the they concept can, around the, the bigger, monopoly. The bigger people, what was interesting... So I'm invested in another futures exchange that's not going to compete. It's called bitnomial.com. Okay. They're going to trade cryptocurrency futures, but and they're going through that whole DCM, right. and it's been interesting to watch that whole process. Yeah. But one of the things, when I was on the board of CME, that I always thought, and we talked about it, strategic plan was when you had a computerized platform, you should be able to list more and more products right. easily and cheaply. But they haven't done that. And it's not because they don't want to do that. I think it's because the internal resources it takes to support and stand up a product, they look at the marginal revenue and the marginal cost compared to something else that they could do. And they decide not to do that and go with the traditional stuff or whatever. And that's just a function of being a big ass company. I mean, and 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 companies do it all the time. Kellogg's does it in cereal. And you know? be, being defensive and protecting the the infrastructure they have. Yeah. But you you summed it up perfectly when you talked about onions, turkey. Yeah. Those were all in, pork bellies right. traded more than cattle and hogs right. at one point. Right. Um, they all had a time, and that time is gone. Yeah. I'm not saying treasury bonds or equities are going right. away anytime right. soon. Not. Yeah. But the new tradable products. The only thing I can tell you for sure is they're coming. Yeah. And they will be interesting, and the right mix of products will be disrupted. Well, Jack Berugian was trying to do the cloud futures exchange. When I was on the board, we talked about water futures. Right. Um, we talked about- Still hear a lot about that, yeah, don't you? Yeah. But it, it's so regulated, it's right. a tough and, one. And to quantify it. I mean, yeah. am I using Lake Michigan water or That's am right. I using right. Colorado Rocky water? Right, right. And then like the other one is um, bandwidth. Sure. Or chips, computer chips, mm-hmm. commoditized right. business. Anything, and it's hard, you got to figure out For people that don't understand what goes into this, you got to figure out a standard, like Pete said before, a standard contract that everybody can sort of agree on. Right. And then get fundamental benchmark. Three stools, the three legs of the stool come in and participate. And how many times did we launch contracts at CME in FX that failed? I mean, over and over again. Oh, yeah. And people said they were going to trade them, but then they didn't. And and all (laughs) those contracts were usually built. With one user in mind. That's one right. guy who came to the exchange, and when I say guy, right. an institution, and said, hey, put this up, and they will come, and I will be there. Right. And then you find that their their answer to you afterwards, oh, market's really wide. It's really thin. I, yeah, I'm yeah, not going to trade I'm it. I'm not going to trade it. And then it, yeah. the liquidity provider is like, hey, well, if he's not going to trade, why am I going to quote this? Right. And you're kind of done before right. you start. Right. So one of the things we've done at the small exchange is after crafting these products, we think really resonates with this retail pro-tail investor. We're like, 
come up with the best products in the world. But if you don't have, for lack of a better phrase, a normal liquidity profile, right. what you and I have come used to, one, two, three ticks wide, right. you know, contracts up on either side, you've kind of done before you start. That's We've right. seen too many things, like you just mentioned, launch, yeah. 10 wide, two up. Right. I got no interest. I got nothing. Yeah. And nothing else in the book. Yeah, right. Because right. if that one guy shut, shuts off his two wide market, yeah. there is, I am the book. That's right. So we have partnered with Jump and Citadel, yeah. two of the largest market makers in the world. They've made a strategic investment in the exchange. Yeah. And they have, uh, part of their commitment is to provide liquidity day one. Oh, that's good. So one of the great pieces we'll have are these small, simple, standard yep. contracts with a solid liquidity metric yeah. around them, which makes them very interesting to yeah. trade from day one. Yeah, that'll help. It it really will. I uh, True story, I was backed by this guy, Roger Carlson, and they were trying to get T-bill options going. Right. And this is in the like 1987-ish. So euro dollar options were trading 12,000 a day. The euro dollars were trading probably 50,000 a day at the time. And T-bills were dying. Right. And Roger was the only market maker. And there was one other guy on the side of this trade and Roger called him up. Never forget this. And he said, Hey, you win. I lose. I'm going to take my hickey, but just could you let me out of the trade right. and I'll continue to make markets here and we'll try to get this thing going. And the guy said, no way. I'm not letting you out. And Roger's like, okay, I made the trade. I own them. I'll take a bigger hickey. And he hung up the phone and looked at me. He says, I'm getting it back from that guy. And he did. <laughs> Pay me now or pay me yeah. later. Yeah. <laughs> so that's very interesting. No, I think what will be interesting to see is once you get established, if you guys are able to create markets and stuff that nobody else can. Right. So cannabis is one. But there's there's thousands of markets out there, there are. where risk is inherent that people can't lay it off. Right. And maybe they're just too small to start up. And right. I argue, I mean- the exchanges don't like me for this, but I argue that CME hasn't introduced a new contract that's been successful since 1982. And that was the S&P 500. Right. And they're like, no, we've got ultra bonds. And stuff. But right. that's just all that is is tied liquid and tied pods. It's right. just line extensions. Right. It, right. It's an extension of drink. Yeah. And you know what? CME has done a fabulous they're, job. You know, no, they're, I'm not knocking them. No, yeah, and I'm you just and I saying, bought, yeah, yeah. aren't we still, yeah. you know, we, we have spent the bulk of our life either no doubt. trading products or yeah, being yeah. part of it. But you're right. And a monopoly, though, doesn't work from offense. It right. works from defense. That's right. And that's where uh, reputationally, yeah. you know what? We're going to try things that work, things yeah. that won't. And part of that is I think we'll be, we'll be rewarded for being innovative, mm -hmm. disruptive, and entrepreneurial yeah. where – Larger institutions work from a point of defense, yeah. And too many failures impacts too many, <laughs> right. too many people. And right. uh, and and to be fair, I mean, they did try. See, like the Russell right. was launched, and then the ICE bought it, and now it's back at CME. I don't even know what it trades a day. It's I, doing better than it did at the ICE because yeah. you want you're able to you spread. And, you're able to spread and, it and, and cross get, margin right. and stuff. Yeah, right. and you know, and you talk about different products, right? You know. Ice has coffee, sugar, cocoa, right. and orange juice. Right. Uh, Which were, they bought that from, right. uh, what was it? The coffee, the CFCE right. exchange. Yeah, right. yeah, yeah. Uh, That's how it, they got their clearing out. Right. Interesting things to trade, but there's no cross margin. There's no, no nothing. Uh, kind of a, they call them softs, sometimes exotics. I mean, it's a one shot. It's a, 
Right. If yeah. you, and if you think about it, more difficult things. Orange to- juice is not correlated to coffee. Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> short, short of on your breakfast table. Yeah, yeah. I mean, orange juice is kind of the, the, the ice equivalent of lumber. Yeah. And I'm not, you know, they're both, uh, I think orange juice does 300 contracts a day. Mm. And, you know, one of the things you want to be able to do is you want to look at markets that have great multiples of liquidity and volume and open interest right. than what you do. And even if, it, if you're a three-lot trader, a five-lot trader, you don't want to see a book that's five up. You that's want to right. see a book that's 50 up. That's right. You never want to be the market. Right. So one of the things we feel with our smaller products is that liquidity and that depth of book will come yeah. naturally yeah. and people will feel very comfortable. And I that. think the point you made earlier is so key. You got to know when, where to get out of your losers. So when I traded, I always sort of knew right around where there was going to be something in the deck that I could get out. Right. And in the Euro dollars, there was always something. There was always something. There was always know? depth. Yeah. yeah. And and I think that is so key. It's a, it's, it's a question of survival. Um, John Bailey was a tremendous Euro dollar trader. And when I started trading, he said, you know, it's not your winners. It's how you get out of your losers Absolutely. that makes you not get out of here in a body bag. Right. And, and determines whether or not you have a great year or a good year. Right. It's, absolutely. Right. And, you know, for me, one of the things, you and I, to an extent, when we first started, you were kind of compelled. If you didn't stand in that pit, yeah. uh, A, you didn't keep your spot, and B, you know what? You didn't have the flexibility to easily go trade yen or like right. my crude story right. Right. to trade crude. You couldn't trade anything. No. You specialized. Right. Yeah. And part of what's great now is you are able, the amount of products I trade has grown dramatically because it affords you the ability to diversify yeah. your portfolio, yeah. to look at markets more holistically, add defensive pieces along with directional yeah. pieces. And that's critically important to be able to trade effectively now. And it was something that was really never available to us yeah. back then. No, or it wasn't. was so difficult. It was to so implement. hard to do. Right. Yeah. You had to run an order over right. or whatever, or make a phone call and you couldn't use a cell phone in the pit. Right. And yeah, yes. I mean, <laughs> right. when we had cell phones, before cell oh my phones, God, it was even harder. Show, if we could show these guys. That yeah. We did even, remember the shoes? Yeah. Oh my God. We, to just to get, I never had a pair. I to, was six just five. To get, yeah, right, I, you, that's right. You never needed them. Now I'm I'm five eleven. Yeah. So it started out that everybody wore. Uh, you couldn't wear gym shoes, but they wore you know casual loafers or something. Yeah. And then one guy comes in one day and he's had the shoe guy add three quarters of an inch to his sole and yeah. his heel. And of course, everybody else comes in the next day and they've got an inch. Now yeah. when I left the S and P pits. I had six-inch platform shoes, yeah. and guys were going to seven, eight, and nine right. just to get a little yeah. bit of an edge. Yep. I mean, at that point, it kind of speaks to yeah. you've kind of run your course I at that sh- point. I thought about getting it yeah. because they put a bump up on the step of like three inches, right? and I thought about getting three-inch shoes. Just to I keep was, yourself at the just, same. Well, just to bug people because right. there were all these short <laughs> just, guys behind yeah, me. <laughs> <laughs> Right. I only want the broker to I, see me. Yeah. But and now you want know that was adapting to the environment we right. had now. I think the one thing and we were talking before the yeah. we started the podcast, the different paths everyone has taken yeah, as, yeah, yeah. as they've left the floor. Right. Uh, and it's it's been a very varied path. I, I think as you go and you roll your career forward, the one thing that traders are like sharks. Yep. If you're not moving forward, whether that be through adding products to your portfolio, strategies, you kind of die. So you constantly have to be looking at innovating the mix of products, Mm -hmm. the products you trade, and the size of those products. So 
if you're a trader today, like so Top Step Trader has a lot of people that, you know, trade through their platform. Um, one of the tough things I think is there's a lot of tough things about trading. You know, it's hard to lose money, but it's hard keeping it when you make it. Yep. So what do you do psychologically to keep yourself making it right. once you start having success? Well, you know, and, and it's a great question because previously you were reliant on seeing the order flow. When the order right. flow didn't come in the pit, I mean, you tried to get away with sitting on the floor, although you got fined for right, doing right, that right. or reading a paper. One of the greatest things, I think, for guys like you and I who transitioned off the floor mm -hmm. to the screen was to sit and do nothing. There was almost a sense of of guilt. Like, oh, I'm not doing my job right. unless I have something right. on. Right, yeah. So discipline around the amount of trading you do mm -hmm. about most importantly, the amount of contracts you have on. So, you know, I always use the analogy, you want to, this is your business. You want to open the doors the next, you know, tomorrow morning. Mm -hmm. You've got to be mindful about sizing. It's very easy to oversize trades. Mm -hmm. It is very easy to overcommit to too many products. Mm -hmm. You have to find the right mix of products and especially the right amount of sizing. Futures give you the tremendous benefit. There's the capital efficiency that's missing in ETFs and mm -hmm. options with mm -hmm. Reg T. You can create, although currently they're very big, you could scale size very yeah. easily. So for me, it's a function of being disciplined about when I trade, evaluating whether or not it's a trade I want to get into. Yeah. Some of that process you and I talked about, determining both entry points for good and bad trades, right. where I'm going to do that, that often... A series of mechanics that is not overwhelming, but that lets you go through markets every day and determine, okay, this is moving. This has increased volatility. Right. There's an interesting range or an extreme I want to trade. Then start to set up what strategies work for you within that. It's It seems like, well, you know what? I've got a full-time job. I, mm -hmm. I'm, I live in the real world. I can't right. do what these knuckleheads do right, every day right, right. and trade all day long. Right. It is achievable to do. It is discipline. Mm -hmm. You can do that and still participate. But I, it's critical you have a framework in place. If you do what we used to do to an extent is come in and say, okay, let's see what they throw at me. Yeah, right. That's where you're going to get into trouble yep. because you're not going to have any metric around what you feel comfortable with. Right. And one of the things that we developed over experience was to be able to, you know, I think Friday afternoon, you look around the pit and- There'd be a tenth of the guys. Yeah, and we you don't used to call be there no, Friday uh, afternoon, right? And <laughs> I, I mean, we've all been there, and we yeah. used to call it losers' club. Yeah, yeah, not yeah. in a pejorative way to the guys, yeah. but it, it was guys who were either down for the day or down for the week and yeah. trying to scratch back to zero. Right. And I mean, I sat on loser club Fridays. Yeah, front I've been and there. Center, yeah, right? I've been there. But yeah. uh, I, I think right now that structure and discipline are critical components to managing mm -hmm. and effectively holding on to profitable strategies and not over-engaging in markets. The yeah. idea of, and it sounds so easy to say, because they always say, don't force the trade. Right. And that's almost a way for somebody to let you off the hook, mm -hmm. uh, an educator. Don't force the trade. It's like, what do I do with that? What does right. that mean? How is, do I put that into application? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And don't forcing a trade means working around your mechanics and your discipline. And if it doesn't fit, you're good sitting so you're in front of that them, screen. you're going to buy them low. It drops. It doesn't come to where you want to buy them in the range that you want to buy them. Don't chase it. Right. Or don't. And, you know, the, so many of the paradox we've seen, if you're comfortable trading up to a 10 lot. Yeah. Or let's say a five lot. Right. And you've averaged in. You've done some good work right. around a level. Right. And 
the market's lower. Now it's like, wow, they're cheaper than I thought they were cheap. Right. I'm going to put a couple more on. Right. And if you can't answer this question honestly, the market was 50 ticks higher. Would I be adding to this position past the five lots? Right. And if your answer would be never, that's taking on too much risk, you're never adding on the downside because that's just simple math. Right. If you're doubling, tripling down on losing positions, statistically, you will never get back to zero. Right. So position size management is critical. Being mindful of realistic, we're not always going to be right. Right. This is, you know what? Some of the biggest, most profitable shops in the world work on 5347. Right. What I mean by that is they make money 53% of the time. They lose it 47% of the time. Mm -hmm. They trade tremendous amounts of volumes. It's not what you and I do. Right. But that 6% is a tremendous amount they of money. They cut that salami really thin. Right. Yeah. So mm -hmm. if you're looking like, well, I need to make 80%, 20%, yeah. that's not realistic. Yeah. Set realistic goals that are achievable. And the other thing that's interesting, uh, difference between screen and floor is on the floor, you could go in and say, you know, my goal today is to make a thousand, two thousand, and then you, you know, as you got bigger and bigger, right. if you go on the screen and say, I'm going to make a thousand, my goal is a thousand a day or a hundred a day, right. no matter what the number right. is, you will lose money. Right. You make a great point, Jeff, and that's if you try to get so granular that you're setting a day. Yeah. Here's the thing: markets don't give you. Daily opportunity. That's right. There's One of the good things is with the ability to trade so many markets, yeah. you can oftentimes find opportunity. But when you set a hard metric like that at such a short time right. frame, you're almost it's almost impossible to accomplish. I look at my PL monthly. Yeah. And that is a fair enough aside to say, how am I doing? Are yeah. my, and then I go back and review. If it was a good month, what worked? Right. If it was a bad month, where could I have shown some more discipline? Right. Or where were my ideas poor? Right. But when you go in and on the floor, because we had this edge, yeah. we had an idea based on the amount we trade in right. terms of size, what we could normally expect right. to pull out of it. Mm -hmm. That is not what's here right now. Mm -mm. So set a time frame that gives you the ability to be able to set back. It's very hard if you're setting, I got to make it's $500 today. Yeah. S&Ps are in a 12 point range. Right. Go ahead and try to throw that dart. And, yeah, right. And pick that high and pick that low right. to pull your $1,000 out on your right. three line. Nobody picks highs and lows no. like that. Yeah. So you've got to give yourself a little bit of context around whether it be a week or a month to determine, okay, are my strategies, are my mechanics and my discipline working, or do yeah. I got to go back and change something around? Hey, traders, Jack here. Hope you're enjoying the interview, or if this segment gets relegated to the end, uh, we certainly hope that you enjoyed the interview. Uh, we're going to take a quick break here once again to answer a few of our questions from the Top Step Trader community on Facebook. We did it last week. It was pretty fun, and presumably it will be this week too. Annie's still here. Hey, guys. I'm back. Annie, do you want to introduce yourself one more time? Sure. If you didn't listen last week, I'm Annie, and I'm our community manager. So if you're in the Facebook community, you probably see me there. And once again, Annie is still here because intern Martin is still on the run. Uh, his stated reason is that the Chicago teacher strike is still going on, and I'm still not sure what that has to do with him coming down here to our office and performing his duties. Uh, you know, they seem kind of not connected to me. Yeah, yeah. Well. I'm just saying, when I was Martin's age, uh, I used to sell Christmas trees, and we didn't have school around Christmas, but I still had to show up. 
So hopefully Martin will be back next week to defend himself against uh, these attacks. Yeah, we have a lot of questions for Martin. Yeah. Speaking of questions, Annie, uh, what questions do you have from our community today? Sure. Let's kick it off with a question from Anna. So Anna asks, when a withdrawal is made, the trader's funded account loss limit will be moved to zero and the trader's buying power will be adjusted. If the loss limit is zero, how can the trader avoid breaking the loss limit rule after a withdrawal? That's a really good question, and I thought perhaps the best person to answer it, and he's in studio, vigorously taking notes, we brought in our top step trader, risk manager himself, Mr. Mick Aronimo, to answer this question. Mick? Hey guys, how are you? Thanks for having me in. Happy to answer this question. So as far as uh, withdrawals and your trailing max drawdown being moved to zero after making a withdrawal, it's pretty simple. All of our funded accounts, they are sub-accounts of our main account with the brokerage firms. Every funded account, when you start, starts with a $0 balance. Any of the profits that you make, making it a positive account balance, um, once you decide you want to withdraw those funds from that positive account balance, your trailing max drawdown is moved to zero. So once you start taking money out of the account, you simply can't let the account go negative and you know and incur a loss for the firm. And uh, Mick, they can learn more about that in the help center if they choose to? Yes, they can. Okay, cool. Uh, I think we have a second question. Okay, so our second question is from Tahir. Tahir just passed step two. Woo, go Woo, Tahir. Go Tahir. All right, great job. So he wants to know what the deal is with the pro account. So he says, from what I understand, it's a SIM account, and the funds turn into real funds when I make $5,000. To that point, it all makes sense. What doesn't make sense is that I can withdraw that 5000 as soon as they deposit it into my premium-funded account. So I make all this fake money and walk away with real money at the end? What am I missing here? That's a really good question from Tahir. Once again, let's go to the man, <laughs> Mick Aronimo. <laughs> well, yeah, that's definitely a great question. So the pro account is a simulated trading account that you can profit from. Uh, we have a cap of $5,000 on the pro account. So um, once your account balance reaches $5,000, we close that pro account and then we basically give you a premium funded account with a starting balance equal to your closing balance of the pro account. That money that's earned, the simulated profits that are earned in the pro account, it's not moved into the premium funded account. We come out of pocket with mm -hmm. our own money and start you off with that positive account balance. Um, as far as the withdrawals go, yes, you can take that 5000 right off the bat. I would not suggest it if you want to continue trading because um, at that point, once you start in the premium funded account with $5,000 or if you decide to opt in to the premium funded account with a lower account balance uh, equal to your closing balance of the pro account, you simply can't go below zero. So you may take a withdrawal of 5000 if that's what you start with, um, but your account's going to close because that's going to bring your trailing max, uh, it's going to bring your account balance back to that $0 trailing max drawdown mark. So my suggestion for most traders who are eager to take withdrawals upon starting in their premium funded account would be take a small percentage of it if you want to, you know, Withdraw 500, 1,000. We've got a lot of traders that take half of it and they leave themselves $2,500 in cushion. You know, if you envision yourself continuing to profit from the markets, my suggestion would be keep some money in the account as cushion in order to weather any, you know, losing days, weeks. Oh, yeah, yeah. that's definitely good advice. And um, I believe we just filmed some uh, pro account videos that are also in the Help Center that will explain all this information again because 
I know when you're listening to something, maybe the numbers aren't quite going through and things aren't making sense or processing the right way. I'm glad you mentioned that. There's a video that uh, I'm the shining star of where I kind of <laughs> lay If you want to hear more of Mick's angelic voice <laughs> yes, talking yeah. about drawdowns. <laughs> I lay out some information in the video and then there's those FAQ questions as well that are right in there too. Sure. Thank you, Mick. Well, uh, actually, we have just one more question. Annie, this one's a little bit more, uh, I guess, philosophical than anything else. This third one and our last one is from David. So David asked our community, did anyone notice a change in their trading psychology when switching to risking OPM? Well, it took me a while to figure out what OPM was, but uh, I think it's other people's money. Um, I learned that I went back, I was touring an apartment and the uh, real estate agent said, or I was trying to buy a condo or something. He was talking about like, oh yeah, you get your mortgage, you get someone to rent it out, and then you're just playing with other people's money. And I thought it was kind of a... <laughs> Weird thing to say. I not that it's weird that the trader said it, uh, but Mick, you uh, traded as well. I used to be a trader for a number of years at a couple of prop firms. Uh, did you notice a big difference when you were trading other people's money and your psychology? Uh, there is a little bit of a difference. I've I have traded my own account. I've traded at proprietary firms as well. Other people's money. Um, I think there is a difference, and my stance on it kind of. You could look at it either way. You know, it depends on maybe the kind of person you are. Um, when you're trading your own money, you're accountable to yourself. Sure. There's a chance that you may abuse that if you get emotional in your trading um, with a proprietary firm trading other people's money. You've got to answer to someone, and you know, you don't really want to lose someone else's money. So you might go ahead. Yeah. I was going to say that I completely changed my psychology and not to extend this too far because it's not my interview, but um, I only traded other people's money in futures account and it was, I did things that completely I would not do on my own. I'm very conservative with my own money. I'm a very uh, okay slow and grow. So it really, I think it depends on the person. Some people might be more conservative with their own account. Other people might be more conservative trading other people's money. It, I think it's the individual and that could change, you know, based trade to trade, day to day, week to week. Also, like many things in psychology, you're saying, eh, it depends on the person. It depends on the person too. And then, um, you know, one thing I'll say about myself personally, I was trading a smaller personal account than I was with uh, the proprietary firm. It was a larger account. So you got to keep in mind that it's all going to be relative too. you know, a thousand dollar loss in a personal account might be a little bit more significant than a thousand dollar loss in a proprietary. Oh account yeah, where you're too. only taking thirty percent or something, depending on what you're trading. Yeah, yeah, you're trading on a completely different scale. You know, fewer contracts versus more contracts. So you know, the P and L as far as profits and losses on a day to day basis go. You know, they're going to be different. So people may handle that differently, but you have to remember it's all relative. You know, if I lost five grand in my personal account. You know, that'd be a big deal. But with a prop firm, you know, losing five grand, you never want to lose money. But, you know, it's 5,000 out of a, a larger pool in most cases, I would say. Well, all right, guys. Uh, thank you, Mick, so much for stopping by and answering some of these questions. We'll have you back at some point for uh, some segment because uh, you're a very important person to our funded traders. Oh, thanks for making me feel important. Yeah, of course. <laughs> All right. Thanks again for joining us, Mick. That is all for this segment of Community Questions. And uh, we'll be back next week with perhaps Intern Martin, but definitely three more questions. <laughs> all right. Thanks again, guys. Um, all right. So getting a little off topic, funniest story that comes to mind from the floor that happened. 
Oh God, there's so there's. <laughs> it's a hard question. Oh, there's there, there's there's so many. I mean, yeah. there there there's you know there's, one that's clean that you can tell. Well, well, that, that's it. You you and I both know them. Uh, gosh. Uh, you know, there, there's so many guys, you know, doing knucklehead things. Yeah. Um, you know, uh, embarrassingly, I got fined. There was a lot of bravado and, you know, pushing yeah, and yeah, shoving. And yeah, I remember, yeah. I'll never forget, I don't know if you knew this guy, Bob Berlin. Yeah, he, I know he, Bob. He, he, he was a guy, yeah. He was an Olympic silver medalist. Yeah, he was. Yeah, Bob's judo. a great guy. No. Yeah. Certainly, and he was a wonderful guy. Yeah, L.A. Now, Games. Right, and yeah. I, I was standing next to Bob, and on the other side of me was this- Not a small guy. No, <laughs> but it, the gentle giant. Yeah, I mean, right. Uh, so I'm standing, him on one side of me, and uh, another guy on the other side trading currency spreads, and I got into an argument over a trade with this yeah. other guy, and we end up rolling around on the floor- Oh, my God. Uh, fighting with one another. Yeah. And all of a sudden, this hand comes out of nowhere, grabs me by the back of my neck- Picks me up and it's Bob, you know, who's strong as an ox and goes, Pete, what are you doing? And just sets me back down in my place. So um, that was what, you know, one of the classics was uh, trade balance number, yeah. which used to be the big number. Everything's right. moving. Everyone's trying to dive and get it in order. For, I used to, now they banned mechanical pencils right. because you could erase your card. Right. But I used to always use a mechanical pencil because I my handwriting with a pen was illegible. Right. So, I'll never forget this guy was jumping up for a trade and I was selling an order across the pit. So yeah. I'm waving my hands and I come down with this mechanical pencil oh, no. and it lands in this guy's forehead. And I pull the pencil back, but the lead sticking out of his head. <laughs> and everybody So you got like four inches of lead sticking oh, God, out of this guy's no. forehead. And it's oh, one of the God. few times the whole pit just went quiet. Oh my and God. And it didn't do any. You know, no. it was a tiny piece of yeah. But that Thank was God. that was a wild story. How about you? Oh, there's so many. Even just the farts. Um, you know, you're in a human place. Um, there were no barriers to, to human body function. That's oh true. Oh, uh, it's, um, crop dusting. I think that's crop what we call dusting. It. Yes. Yeah. Crop dusting. I, and then people used to take trading cards when it was boring and, um, you know, you'd make shark fins or oh, stuff, yes, but, um, um, one day, this guy, uh, he played linebacker for Indiana. He was in the Eurospreaders. I'm trying to remember his name. He started at linebacker, and they played in the Rose Bowl in 1967. And he talked about O.J. Simpson running him over. Um, gosh, I can't remember his name. But he made spurs for somebody. <laughs> and they actually worked. <laughs> and the guy didn't even know it, you uh -oh. know? Or... I don't no, know. Jeff's talking about not real spurs, but paper spurs. Yeah, paper. This, yeah, it, it was like taking right thirty <laughs> Kevin to forty. Duffy, that's thirty his name. to forty year old infants. Yeah. And with too much time on their yeah, hands. Yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Or I mean, I think you know some of the eating contests were kind of funny. Um, the things that always cracked me up were like the innocent stuff. Um, one of my favorite stories is you know was spring training. And there were Sox fans and Cubs fans, right? And, you know, baseball, whatever. Sure. But a lot of Sox and Cubs fans. And Sox and Cubs fans, if you're not from Chicago, we, you know, we don't necessarily like each other. I'm a Cub fan. Um, and so, you know, Cubs suck, Sox suck. <laughs> um, and um, we got an argument over who was going to be better that year. Well, both teams, frankly, were not very good. So somebody delved into, I wonder if you could throw a softball across the river. Right. And um, and in Chicago, we play 16 inch softball clincher. And 
No, you can't do that. Well, I bet Chris could do it. And Chris Lang is like 6'9", big guy. His brother played basketball at Penn State. He played at Illinois Benedictine. And Chris is, Chris, you think you could throw a softball across the river? Yeah, I think I could throw it across the river. Well, how far is the river? Well, I don't know. Somebody go walk the river. So they go out and measure the river with their feet, right? This unscientific measurement. Send a clerk to Maury Mages at the time to get a (laughs) brand new one so it's not rigged. By the time all this happens, there's like $100,000 bet on this stupid throw. (laughs) Lang is warming up, you know, over there. The whole exchange clears out, blocks traffic on Monroe. And he throws that softball across the river. It was hilarious. Or like, you know, I'm a great golfer. How great are you? Well, I'm a scratch. Well, I bet this guy, I bet I could beat you. You can only have one club and I can use my whole bag. (laughs) And it was like Caddyshack. Right. And they went to Butterfield Country Club and walked around and watched the the scratch beat the guy with With one one club. club. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Well, you know, and part of that was always that, and you're right, some of the most just, Funny parts were, yeah. the, were the bets. And yeah. it was kind of the nature of what we did. It yeah. was all risk-taking. Right. And, and not to make that sound bigger than it is, but that idea of, you know, it, it was all trying to figure out strategy. And yeah. that was when there wasn't strategy to figure out in the right. markets, then there was the challenge of, okay, what can we figure out amongst the the clown car of us right to to and it that, was a clown car yes that's uh, interesting I think I think the thing that bothers me um, about sort of culture is they focus on the drugs the hookers and stuff like that and that yeah, happens but it was such a small but like, like it's but it's it's so, so yeah it's so un, good unnamed broker goes to the Four Seasons rents out this huge hotel room all these guys are up there this is the eighties right. They're busting up this hotel room. It's crazy. And the manager of the hotel comes up and says, hey, we're going to call the cops. And he rips out his wallet and he says, how much damage did I do? Right. And it's like $40,000. He goes, here's the check. Just go away. You know, so that really, that's a true story right. that really happened. But then the stories of like, and again, this guy, an, an example of guys making too much money. Yeah. <laughs> and but, we but, don't say that in a bad way, no. but it, it really was. But you, know, this, you never knew that the water was going to get right, turned off. And, right, right. But the stories of like the guy down on his luck where people would help him or, you know, my my wife has multiple sclerosis. I'm raising money for MS. Can you donate? Right. And and all of a sudden the guy would walk out with a $100,000 check to donate to multiple sclerosis. Um, I, I'm from Chicago, so I can't speak the English language very well. <laughs> you and me both. <laughs> Let's stick with one one syllable words. Yeah, you know what? And that was true. The generosity was amazing. It was, it was amazing. It and, was amazing. And I think you're right. Everybody liked to focus yeah. on, you know, uh, some of the uh, some of the more they certainly weren't glamorous, but some of the more uh, uh, flashier parts. Yeah, this. yeah. But I think at the end of the day, we all walked out for the most part. We had pretty normal lives, and it was just yeah. – I mean, we did something very interesting. Well, that well, I, you, I think we're all passionate You know, about. for years, the market turned off when the market turned off, right. and you were able to have a normal life and go home. Like my kids, when I traded hogs, I would wake up in the morning. Hogs didn't open until 9, 10. Right. Yeah, right? you guys – I didn't have to get there until the dream. Eight. Eight Nine o'clock eight, in the morning to, to one fifteen yeah, or 1 o'clock. Right, right. And I then, forget what that so was. So my kids are like – 
They'd wake up, they'd go to school, and then I'd be home when they got home from school cooking because I, I like to cook. And they'd be like, Mom, does he have a job? Yeah. <laughs> he does. The day one, I yeah. think. Yeah. Uh, and then know. and then Doug Rumpf, who, who – uh, Oh, boy, he, I remember. Oh, yeah. Doug yeah. would be in the in the hogs and he would start drinking about one fifteen. Oh, yeah. And that everybody w- in his neighborhood thought he was a cab driver because he took a cab so to home so many times. And, 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 <laughs> Yeah, you remember that? Yeah, the yeah. the post twelve o'clock Friday stink. Yeah, oh, it, God, it was yeah. like the wafting of of vodka through the uh, through the pits. Yeah, uh, it was but, crazy. Uh, yeah, yeah, it was it was it was interesting. You know, nobody had any guide rails. Nobody really worked for anybody. No. So it was really up we were to all you. independent. I was like you. I was kind of a bell to bell guy. Yeah, I, I I liked the fact of being there. Difference for me was trading FX. There was a spot market that went around the That's clock. That's right, and you, you could do something called EFPs, which yep. was an exchange of physical for yep. futures. So I would get calls during the night. And one phone call was a good call. And my wife, yeah. and I tell this for my wife, said, one phone call was a good call. because my position, you're still married. But, yeah, and I am, which is a, not a testament to me, but a yeah. testament to my yeah, wonderful no wife. Yeah, yeah, yeah. She's uh, a saint. Right. One phone call was always a good phone call. Because it meant I had covered something. Yeah. She knows when the phone rang three times, that not, wasn't good. Not she, good that yeah. was not going to be a good morning. So, uh, yeah, that was that was. Uh, Did you ever have any moments when you're trading, or even today, where you feel like you're clairvoyant, like you dreamt the situation or you felt the situation at some other time in your life, and now it's really happening? No, you know what? I I don't, and I love trading. I've, yeah. I've always one of the few things has changed. Up to the last five years, yeah. if, if you didn't pick a side, and what right. I mean by that, pick direction, you didn't play, you didn't right. trade. The advent of options on futures has yeah. changed that whole dynamic. It has. But um, I never, never felt clairvoyant. I love, I've got a, I think I've got 12 different things on right now. Mm-hmm. Um, I love that part uh, of it, but I always work from a point of defense. I'm yeah. always thinking, okay, what if, and usually my portfolio is cut, constructed of, a series of directional bets, and then a couple of them that are really contrary to what I'm thinking. Right. So that way, if the market doesn't perform, at least I've got a little damage control yeah, yeah. working. For, that not only helps in terms of dollars and cents, but it helps psychologically. Because, yeah. you know, it's so funny. We are such, as a human being, we, we are such risk-averse creatures. Yeah. And everything, our daily lives are risk-averse. Mm-hmm. We go in voraciously to take this risk on every day. Yeah. So without the right construct and discipline, this is where the cha- letting human emotions yeah. dictate your trading it's tough. creates for a very short and painful career. Yeah, so you really have to separate that out from, you know, I don't know your feelings, but, and you had mentioned a lot of the guys were big gamblers yep. and whether it was, you know, we'd have a sports, pool, or we'd have whatever, a pool yeah. on whether the guy's shoes were size right. 10 or 10 and a right, half. Right, right, it right, was right. the craziest thing. sports yeah. and the guys who'd go to Vegas and yeah. whatever you think. Yeah. I never liked, and I'm not saying good or bad. I never felt comfortable sitting down at a table in Vegas. Cause I always knew oh. odds were stacked against you. I know money's and, too hard to make. Right. And <laughs> it just, it was, it was an entertainment exercise, mm-hmm. not a money making exercise. Mm-hmm. And I never had that interest. And I did, I never did either yeah. ever. And I, I can't predict college sports or pro sports. No. I was never good at it. I like to play cards. Like, Oh, poker. But the, that's right. Different. Now we we still play. A group of us play gin rummy. Gin rummy and that or hearts, right? Or yeah. hearts, right? <laughs> right. And that's great. And those yeah. those are great because right. or back. I mean, yeah, all, backgammon. Because there's right. allegedly well, there is skill involved. Yeah. Because you play 
Hart or Jim Rummy with guys right. who play well. Right. Hey, they play so. F- some of the they guys we play yeah, with, yeah. they played so fast. It's like you know, you're there trying to yeah. get the meld together, and, <laughs> and they've already, they've already in their mind, they've already played the entire hand That's right. through. That's so, right. uh, but uh, yeah, games like that were great. I just never was the other side of that. Well, I still love this piece of it. I, yeah. I don't think it's because I perceived. Well, there's a greater edge to me here. I think I felt it's a level playing field, and yeah. I was more than willing to participate within that. Yeah, I've never. I so I'm going to be in Vegas. Sunday through Tuesday, because Money 2020 is there, and I'm just see some people. But I've been there like three times in my life. Right. Um, Tom Sosnoff, of course, who you work with, right. has his picture all over the damn airport. Yeah. But um, <laughs> he likes <Yeah>. Vegas. <laughs> well, well, yeah, and well, and, and McCarran Airport for yeah. us has been. We I, I think we provide the Wi-Fi there. Yeah, and, probably and do. It's, yeah, it's it's been an interesting promotional but, exercise. But but I mean. It's funny because the one time I was there and actually like actively gambling, I did some sort of football parlay and I won every game, but like I had Georgia at home. They were up like 30 to nothing at the half and they wound up losing the game and I lost the parlay. (laughs) And it's like, who knows something? So I go down to the crap table because I I was like, I'm not going to play roulette. I'm not going to do the blackjack. I'm going to play craps. And so I'm sitting there watching and I go, I can't pick these numbers. So I'm just going to bet that don't pass. Them. Right. So I do the don't, and everybody hates your guts right. when you do yeah, that, right? right? And I'm like, I'm used to that You're anyway. I'm like, I'm like, I'm like, hey, I'm a future straighter. Everybody hates my right. guts anyway. So, so uh, I bet that don't pass. It turns out a, a, guy, a friend of mine used to run Hollywood Casino, um, Pat Mitchell, and I said, I told Pat the story. He goes, well, that's the best odds in the casino, right? To oh, bet that crabs, don't crabs don't pass. pass? Oh, that's interesting. And I was like, "Huh, that's interesting." Hmm. <laughs> so I made money, but um, good for you. Didn't do it a lot. Well, yeah, thank- the only times I made money in Vegas is when my wife would, like, at eleven o'clock, just take eighty percent of the chips <laughs> and say, "You're left with that. The rest yeah. are coming up to the room with yeah, me." Yeah, yeah. Well, thank you very much for coming on the program, Pete, Chief Commercial Officer of the Small Exchange, which you can find at smallexchange.com. They're going to trade. Five small retail-focused products, futures, which should be really interesting to watch. I'm really excited that you guys are getting going. We are, and we're looking for a launch in uh, late November, early December. Uh, We've got, you know what? Oh, that's awesome. That's coming right up. It is. And we've got one interesting piece I wanted to tell you about really quickly. If I have a we have a subscription offer, and it's it's not a membership because a membership like you and I had confers ownership. But this subscription offer, we have a limited tranche of them that we put out pre-launch and what it affords you for a hundred dollar fee, you get lifetime 50% reduction in exchange fees and reduced market data fees. So that really, we want to empower everybody with this level playing field. So you are now from our time, you sat on the board at CME. I worked on a lot of the different committees. I think CME's fee structure, and again, no hack, it's 23 or 24 pages long. And it's a lot of different, for a lot of different reasons. A lot of different reasons. We wanted to simplify the playing field. We also wanted to lower the barrier of cost. So this subscription, and you can go to subscription. uh, Once you go to smallexchange.com, click on subscription. This one-time fee, a lifetime of reduced exchange That's fees, interesting. reduced market data fees. It is a really interesting piece yeah. if you want to get invested and you want the lowest fees possible. It's interesting. And so you guys decided to do it that way, just a straight fee instead of like the fad now would be doing an ICO with a cryptocurrency, right. which 
kind of would work like a B share right. at the CME, right? right. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And so you avoided that. We did. And we wanted to, you know, everything about what we do is simplicity. Yeah. So this is just a simple way to to gain that extra efficiency. And for a one-time lifetime reduction of fees, we know yeah. what either we paid or what we, yeah. if we guys who rented the seat yep. or what Data we owned and used the seat yeah. and we forego and rent, mm -hmm. uh, this is a tremendous opportunity. Yeah, it is. So it check really it out is. if you get a chance. It really is. Well, thank you very much and Thanks good luck. And I'm, I'm excited to see what you guys do. Great. Um, I'm really, the, the, the only chagrin I have is that you didn't ask me to invest because I would have written a check. <laughs> well, you know what? We have, we have another round coming out in, in a couple of months, and I'm sure I will be knocking, knocking on your door. But uh, thanks so much for having me. Right. Love being with you. Thank you. Take care and good trading today, guys and gals, I should say. <laughs> Traders, thank you for making it to the last stop of the Limit Up podcast presented by Top Step Trader. We'd like to thank Pete Momet for stopping by our office. I'm excited to see how the launch of the small exchange plays out. And uh, guess what? Annie's still here. Hey, still here. Yeah, Annie, uh, why should these listeners out there, if they enjoyed this podcast, maybe join our Facebook community and or follow us on Instagram? Yeah, definitely. So our Facebook community has been a great place for our traders to kind of connect with each other, ask questions, just lean on each other for support because we all know trading is not an easy sport. So um, it's been great for our entire community and that's where we pull questions from. So if you want to be featured on this podcast, you should ask us a question. Nice. And I think you guys just got to a big milestone, right? You got 10,000 users? That's or, on Instagram. Followers on Instagram? Yeah. So on Instagram, we just got 10,000 followers. So that's been super exciting. And if you want to see behind the scenes of this podcast, you should definitely follow us at Top Step Trader. Well, thank you. And I'll tell them at this point that they should also subscribe and rate this podcast on iTunes or otherwise, because uh, it's my goal this year to try and get this into the top 200 financial podcasts on iTunes. Yeah. And from there, uh, oh, just you wait. We got some ideas of what we can do then. If we were a top 200 podcast, my, my, mm -hmm. the guest we could have. So you know the drill, people. Read the blog, post your questions in the Facebook community, and uh, have a great weekend. Uh, Annie, you doing anything this weekend? Uh, wait, let me think. I don't know what I'm doing. Oh, I think I'm going to a Halloween party. So yeah. we'll see how that goes. Yeah. It's my 10-year uh, college reunion this weekend. Oh, yeah. So uh, once again, I'm hoping to get this podcast into the top 200 financial podcasts. Show people how successful you are. I know. I don't want to look like an absolute loser there. <laughs> so uh, anyway, that's my cross to bear. Uh, thanks again for listening, everyone. Namaste and trade well. Bye, everyone. This episode produced by Dante32. Futures and Forex trading contains substantial risk and is not for every investor. An investor could potentially lose all or more than their initial investment. Risk capital is money that can be lost without jeopardizing one's financial security or lifestyle. Only risk capital should be used for trading, and only those with sufficient risk capital should consider trading. Past performance is not necessarily indicative of future results.